following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 4th, 2024, on the basis of 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Some words just mean more. They are loaded with meaning. Certain words are connected with different memories or ideas in your brain, whether good or bad. For example, if you hear the word Disney, I bet you think about a lot more than somebody's last name. Or if you hear the words 9-11, I bet you think about a lot more than the date on a calendar. Some words are loaded with meaning, and some words in the Bible are loaded with meaning as well. We have an example of this in our reading for today. When the people to whom Peter first wrote these words heard the words, God's mighty hand, they thought about a lot more than an invisible hand up in the sky. For centuries, these words, God's mighty hand, had been associated with God's greatest acts. It was God's mighty hand that parted the Red Sea. It was God's mighty hand that led Israelite armies to defeat armies they had really no business beating. It was God's mighty hand that raised up John the Baptist. When these people heard the words, God's mighty hand, miracles flooded into their minds. So you can imagine that they might have been surprised when they heard how Peter used these words. God's mighty hand. These people that Peter was writing to were suffering for their faith. And Peter wrote to them and told them not that God's mighty hand would crush the government that was oppressing them. He didn't say that God's mighty hand would empower them to fight back against their society that was anti-Christian. He didn't even say that God's mighty hand would snap his fingers and make all their sufferings vanish into thin air. No, Peter says that they need to humble themselves under God's mighty hand. God's mighty hand was allowing them to suffer. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how the salvation that Jesus has won is for everyone. It's available to everyone. And he brings it to us one by one, one at a time. Strength in suffering comes to us in a similar way. Every Christian suffers differently, depending on your social circles or your life circumstances or even your geography, where you live on the earth. But all Christians suffer in some way for their faith. No matter how you suffer, we are all humbled under God's mighty hand by our suffering. Why? God is all-powerful. He has guided the events of history to bring us to faith in the gospel. He could just as easily guide the events of history to make all our sufferings vanish. But he does not use his mighty hand to snap his fingers and make all our sufferings go away. He doesn't relieve our sufferings because he has something much better in store for us. God promises to lift us up and he promises to circle us in. The people whom Peter was first writing these words to were first-generation Christians. Christianity was brand new in the world at that point. But that didn't mean that the world liked Christians. 
In fact, the world looked at Christians as if they were some sort of weird religious cult. And the world made these Christians suffer. These Christians lost their social status. These Christians, their family and friends started giving them the cold shoulder. Even the government, the Roman government, started to imprison these Christians. They were suffering for their faith. And Peter writes this letter to them to tell them that things would only get worse. So what should they do? What is God's will for his people, his beloved people, when they suffer for him? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Christianity is no longer a new thing in our world today. Christianity has been around for almost 2,000 years. But that doesn't mean that our world likes Christianity. In fact, there's a societal shift that's going on in America right now. Books are being written about this and studies are being done. It used to be a few generations ago that you might lose social status if you didn't go to church every Sunday. But now the climate is shifting towards the opposite. And it's being a Christian that could make you lose social status. Even if you haven't read any of these books or heard about these studies, you may have felt the pressure. The pressure that comes from knowing that if someone in your life finds out that you believe what the Bible says, they might look down on you. And maybe you've been in a situation where that pressure boils over and you're forced to choose. You have to make a choice between holding on to your faith and risking losing social status or sweeping your Christian beliefs under the rug and upholding your social status. What should we do? Well, society may change, but God's word does not change. And his will for us is the same as it was for those people back in the early first century. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Keeping our social status as high as we can possibly keep it is not priority number one for Christians. It is a priority. Jesus commands us to seek a good reputation in the world. And if we live as Jesus commands, if we love our neighbors, we will find ourselves with a good reputation. But when push comes to shove, and we have to choose one or the other, our social status or holding to our faith in God, social status needs to take a back seat. The Christian does not care whether the world looks down on them for their beliefs. Now that's a lot easier said than done. Because loss of social status brings all kinds of sufferings into our lives. People might start to look down on us as less intelligent that we, when they find out we believe everything the Bible says. People might pull away from us because they think we're on our high horse when they notice we refuse to join in the gossip. Younger people especially, your friends might look down on you as backward because you believe in Jesus. Suffering for our faith brings these real sufferings, real challenges, real problems into our lives. And it drives real wedges between relationships that we care about. But God allows this because he has something much better in store. God promises that he will lift us up. 
when we humble ourselves, when we sacrifice our social status for our faith in God, when we say, Jesus, you have saved me, you gave your life for me, I will give my life for you, and I will even give my social status for you, God promises that he will lift us up. And he will raise our status higher than we could ever raise it on our own. Right on the heels of that promise, God gives us another promise. He not only says that he will lift us up eventually, in due time, he wants to help us right now. God says we can take all the anxieties, all the worries and the fears and the cares that come from living as a Christian in a world that isn't always friendly to Christians, we can take them and cast them onto him because he cares for you. This God, this God with the mighty hand that parted the Red Sea, this God who laid powerful nations low, this God with the mighty hand who raised up prophets, he cares for you as if you're the only person on earth. He wants to shoulder your burdens. He knows your pain. He cares for you when you suffer because of your belief in him. He cries along with you when your close friend starts to pull away because you hold to your beliefs. He empathizes with you. He empathizes with you when people whisper behind your back. God promises to help you carry your burden. It's striking as you read this text that one of the most well-known and comforting verses in the entire Bible, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, is directly followed by one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible about our enemy, the devil. God doesn't want us to think that just because we take our anxieties and we trust him with them, we trust in his plan that he wants us to stand down, no, we need to be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil seeks to destroy us and he comes after us with all the desperation of a starving lion. We need to be alert and of sober mind. We need to have our head on straight because the only thing that's more dangerous than being stalked by a lion is being unaware that you're being stalked by a lion. We need to know what the devil is up to. When a lion is out in the African savanna hunting for its prey, it hunts in a certain way. A lion doesn't go after an entire herd of animals all at once. It works to separate one of the animals away from the rest of the herd. And then once it has that animal alone, then it attacks and it knows the animal stands no chance. The devil comes after us in a similar way. The devil gives us these opportunities, these chances to prioritize ourselves and our social status above our faith. And if we give in to these temptations, if we serve ourselves and lift ourselves up, what we're really doing is separating ourselves and making ourselves easy prey. This is why it's so dangerous to try and play at that balancing act where you try and balance your Christian beliefs and actions with the beliefs and actions that the world looks on as favorable. When we decide to believe in certain things in the Bible, but reject the other things that the world isn't so fond of, it's like we're sticking our leg out of the herd. We've got one leg in the herd and one leg outside of it. When we join in the gossip, 
so that it makes us seem more normal, we are offering the devil a target. And the devil will capitalize. The devil is prowling around, but God has given us a defense against the devil. God circles us in. He surrounds us with fellow Christians. God gives us all these Christian friendships so that we can rely on one another and keep each other strong in that herd. God says, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, this doesn't mean that we are supposed to only talk to other Christians and only associate with other Christians. Obviously not. We need to live in the world, not only because we need to have a job, but we need to let our light shine in the world to share Jesus with others. But when the world responds to us by making us suffer, God gives us this family of believers that we can fall back on. When the sufferings get especially intense, or the temptations of the devil become especially strong, we can confide in other Christians who we know are going through the same kinds of things. We have solidarity and camaraderie with others. And God has another promise for us too. The devil is prowling around, but it turns out that he is toothless against Christians who stand firm in their faith. The devil's temptations to sin fall flat because we know, we are convinced that Jesus has set us free from sin by dying on the cross. And the devil's threats of lowering our social status do not need to scare us because we know that Jesus has already won for us the highest social status any human can have, child of God. Yes, the devil is dangerous when we put ourselves in situations where we're in jeopardy. But make no mistake, he's defeated. In fact, Martin Luther once called the devil God's devil. He's God's devil, not because he does what God wants. He does the opposite of what God wants. But he's God's devil because even when he tries to take us away from our God, he ends up serving God's purposes. When the devil comes after us with temptations, he only drives us further into the herd. He makes us rely on ourselves less and less and on our fellow Christians and on our faith more. Peter has one more promise for us before the end of this reading. It came in those three important words, a little while. Those are some words that are loaded with meaning. The devil's temptations can come after us strong, but they are only temporary. The world can pile on all the sufferings and all the anxieties it wants, but they are only temporary. Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, the Christian who's been suffering for 30 years might say, 30 years is not a little while. God knows this. He's not trying to minimize your suffering. He feels your suffering. He understands your pain. But he wants you to realize that compared to the ocean of eternity, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, that's barely a grain of sand. So in this little while, cast your anxieties on the one who cares for you. Stand firm in your faith. 
and expect more from your God than just earthly social status. He is able to do so much more for you. He is able to circle you in. He is able to lift you up. And he will. Amen.